Hello, I'm Liv Bolton, and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire people wanting to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of their life. The Outdoors Fix is produced in association with our friends at Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports. Welcome to episode four of the third series. I hope you're all well and you've been getting outside and taking some time for yourself. I had a great day out in Epping Forest just outside London with my walking group a few days ago. There were 13 of us and we did a nine mile loop in the woods. It felt so good to feel the cold air in my lungs, watch the squirrels, listen to the birds and squelch through tons of mud. But I actually love that sound. And it was so lovely seeing everyone chatting and laughing over the hours that we were out. Plus the slab of coffee cake at the end was absolutely delicious. Let me know what outdoors adventures you've been on recently. However big or small, I absolutely love hearing about them. Now let's get to the podcast and please feel free to rate, review and subscribe to it if you're enjoying it. Today's guest is Alex Staniforth. Alex is an adventurer, author of two books and speaker who talks so well about how the outdoors has helped him throughout his life. He's from Cheshire but is now based in the Lake District. Alex has been on some serious adventures since he was a teenager including climbing Mont Blanc and making two attempts at Everest. And in 2017, he completed his challenge, Climb the UK, where he journeyed to the highest point of all 100 UK counties. It took him 72 days and he walked, ran, cycled and kayaked over 5,000 miles to do it. And he also raised a huge amount of money for charity. I went for a walk with Alex in Serpentine Woods above Kendal in the Lake District and then we sat on some logs to record the podcast. It was a pretty cold day that day, so thanks again to Alex for grinning and bearing it. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and don't forget to listen out for Alex's tips for getting outdoors more, as well as the sounds of nature at the end of the podcast. So here's Alex. Alex, hello. Hi, Liv. Nice to be here today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It is an absolute privilege to have you on it. So thank you very much. And um, do you want to describe exactly where we are right now? <laughs> I was just thinking the same. We're uh, currently sat behind a wall in Serpentine Woods above Kendall, um, just below Scout Scar. It's boltedly cold. The wind's howling, but we're in a fairly sheltered spot. So it's dry at least. So. Exactly. And you found a really sheltered spot because it was. I was worried about the wind. Um, and it's not bad right now, fingers crossed. I might have just jinxed it. Yeah, the rain hasn't come yet, but you've, <laughs> you've just jinxed it. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about so many of your adventures. Um, your story is very different from a lot of my guests who often find their love of the outdoors, perhaps in their adulthood, um, is taking them a, you know, a good few years to realise the benefits of the outdoors and why they love it so much. You found that though when you were much, much younger, when you were a young teenager. So how did that all come about? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I probably found that spark for the outdoors when I was about 14 years old, maybe a little bit younger. Um, and I guess the, well, how it all started, it's, it was all triggered really by early adversity at school. You know, I had a lot of, had a lot of challenges growing up, which were obviously kind of small compared to some, but, you know, we all have our own Everest, our own challenges to climb. And uh, for me, it was have an epilepsy which then led to my stammer which led you know to being kind of you know I should you know I should badly bullied throughout my entire time at school um I guess the anxiety and the uncertainty of the whole process that whole kind of quite a scary thing for a young person to to actually you know to actually go through so young um that was just the catalyst for a whole host of all, all the challenges and I guess for me I had no confidence no self-esteem no kind of sense of self-worth growing up because because of all these things I hated sport at school, you know, I was I was the one that came last at sports day. And I guess that was where the outdoors really changed changed my whole life because it, it gave me the confidence that I never had before, the drive that I never knew I had, and made me realise that actually, you know, I couldn't always control my challenges, but I could control how I responded to them. And I guess to cut the long story short, the outdoors was a way to fight back, you know, to, to prove myself and to prove all the world bullies wrong. That's a very mature way of thinking at that at that time of your life. Um, what was the first challenge or the first time yeah. in the outdoors that you really thought this is a great way to deal with everything? Good point. Um, I mean, it's always the hard thing is, you know, the hard thing is trying to answer where these things happen and, and 
what really triggers that passion and I'm sure many of us spend days in the hills and we're asking why are we doing this um, but I think the key events for me were when I was on holiday in Turkey about 13 years old um, prior to that I'd not really done any any outdoor sports uh, my parents were massively outdoorsy and uh, I saw something, something advertised called paragliding which is quite an extreme sport um, and I just had this strange urge that I had to try it I had to had to do this and I guess I started to question the limits that I'd put on myself and the fear of, of missing out, of not achieving my potential uh, because of these early challenges became bigger than you know the fear of actually doing them. Mm. Um, and that decision on holiday that I was going to try this, you know, my mum looked at me like I'd gone mad. <laughs> and I don't quite know where it came from, but that one moment hanging there in the air in Turkey, 7,000 feet in the air, free like a bird, wow. just change that victim mindset to a victory mindset and that sense of realizing I can achieve and overcome so much more than I thought I could and that was the start of so much more because I kept on challenging myself I kept wanting to find what else I could overcome what else I could achieve and constantly building that resilience that confidence and uh, I guess from then I just kept saying yes to things you know and 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 loving this whole process of of discovering what else I could do and the the challenges were still there you know um, I mean I've not had a seizure for about 13 years now but the anxiety was, was there the stamina has always been there but it was just a way of I found better ways of, man, of managing that really um, and I guess the, you know it just kept on setting bigger challenges from there really well yeah I want to get onto those because you when you were really young you climbed Mont Blanc um, and then you went and pursued Everest. Now, um, tell me a bit about Everest. Well, again, again, it's a long, long story, but um, it started here in the Lake District, actually, um, and that's kind of why I moved up here. Uh, I think it wasn't that, that long after the paragliding experience I was invited hill walking in, uh, in the lakes with my friend in Keswick. I went on holiday with him and his mum and stepdad. And something I very nearly didn't do, you know, it was a big step out of my comfort zone. I was, you know, really anxious, still having a lot of panic attacks. And fortunately, I did go. And I remember us walking up near Blencathra on Sutafell, mm -hmm. and we did another walk uh, in Kentmere and then another one as well. But the Sutafell walk stood out to me. And I remember that was the day when I was kind of started off asking, are we there yet? You know, that kind of mentality. And then suddenly having this question of, where is Mount Everest? And I didn't know anything about it. Again, don't really know where these questions come from. And I went home and I researched it and looked at a photo and suddenly became fascinated with this idea of climbing Everest. And how old were you at this time? F 14, I think. Wow. Um, so we'll do in 2010 we went. And um, I was starting to get more active. I was, uh, you know, I started running. I st I I've always been interested, you know, in cycling and doing a lot on my bike, but not pushing myself at any level. Um, but that's what kind of planted the seed of fascination and it just seemed to be like the the biggest thing I could achieve the biggest thing I could overcome after the epilepsy the bullying everything else and I then came across a, a mountain guy in Keswick called Tim Mosdale who has now climbed Everest six times he uh, he led rock climbing instruction in, uh, in Borodale so straight away I thought I need to meet somebody who's who's, who's been there um, and I wanted to go back to the lakes. So I booked on a, a rock climbing uh, taste today that same year, met him, probably knackered him by the end of the day, all the questions. <laughs> and I just, I don't know, he just got me like nothing else had before. Um, so I guess I decided there and then, as you do, that one day I was gonna climb Everest. I never could have imagined kind of what would happen and, and how quickly that would, would have kind of pro progressed really. Basically then I started to proactively work towards this goal you know trying to use a pr pragmatic approach of okay how I'm going to make it happen and it was going to be one of those things that never had a deadline it was just maybe one day like mm. most of our goals are and um, I started speaking to other climbers you know getting an appreciation for how I was going to get there you know to make it possible and Mont Blanc at 17 was one of the first kind of steps to, to getting some serious you know mountaineering experience um, and then before that, I'd done the three peaks when I was 16, which nowadays I think, you know, how much things come on, but at the time it was a massive step for me, yeah. um, just in my confidence, really. 
and then also charity fundraising. Uh, but after Mont Blanc, I was lucky enough to, to carry the Olympic torch in Chester, and that again inspired me of, crikey, if I'm brave enough to go off the beaten path in life and to to not do whatever else my age is doing, mm. actually it's leading to some pretty amazing opportunities. And then it kind of took a different turn because I was doing a lot, um, a lot of running. That was my passion at the time. Um, had big goals in that and basically I got injured and then I couldn't run and couldn't cycle and suddenly couldn't do all these outdoor things that I love doing mm. and that well that I couldn't cope you know it threw me into depression anxiety an eating disorder just you know because I I'd lost this control in my life again and this sense of being told you know I'm never trained properly again let alone to climb the world's highest peak one day and that was kind of this this like lowest trough at the time and in that time I needed some hope I needed something to get me through and I think the the, the, the key moment was reading the book by Bear Grylls that mm-hmm. um, Mud Sweat and Tears yes. and when he broke his back just 18 months before he climbed Everest at 23 that's what kind of gave me the hope I needed that actually if he could overcome that then then I could get through this and so I just had to focus on what I could control and I'd been speaking to other, you know, other climbers and realising that I needed to go and climb a 7,000 metre peak. I needed to try and raise £35,000 in sponsorship. Blimey, that is, I mean, at, <laughs> at that age as well, those are big, big, daunting challenges to raise that amount of money. And... Well, I was about 17. Yeah. I was just finishing GCSEs. Um, but basically, whilst depressed, not knowing if I was going to run again, uh, suffering with, you know, anxiety and eating disorder just this this hopeless place i set the goal that in 2014 i was going to climb everest as you might do as you might do exactly Uh, but something about that goal that deadline just gave me that reason to get out of bed it gave me that Mm -hmm. that urgency that purpose and i focused instead on the fundraising without even knowing where i was going to actually get Mm -hmm. back in time um sponsorship took over a year just to raise all that money you know my, my parents you know they support me in other ways but they were never just going to sign me a check you know i was yeah. going to have to find a way i make one washing pots in, in the local pub every weekend wasn't going to pay for it um and so that kind of became my gap year project that never didn't really end i was still doing my a levels but i just kind of gave up on those luckily got the grades i needed um unfortunately got back from injury just in time to start training for a 7000 meter peak called Burunsi that autumn so only six months later uh went out to nepal for the first time you know had to raise about seven grand for that um and starting you know working on sponsorship full-time and then basically basically 2014 i was on my first everest trip so you did try to tackle everest twice yeah um yeah. Everest became a big part of your life for a few mm. years, pursuing it. Um, now, you had some, and it, and it was in the news at the time, you had some uh, absolute tragedies when you were trying to pursue mm. um, Everest. And, and tell me about those. Yes, so in 2014 uh, was the first attempt. I was on a team with uh, Tim Mosdale himself, you know, who'd, who'd been that inspiration, that mentor for me in the lakes, um, just to give myself the best possible support team. And we flew out to, to Nepal, um, and it's a, a two-month trip, you know, three weeks just to get to base camp to make sure we're fully climatised as best we can. But a day before we got to base camp, there was a massive avalanche in the Kumbu Icefall, which is the, well, which is the, is the glacier above uh, base camp. Yeah. Probably the most dangerous part of the entire route because of the unpredictability of, you know, seracs. And as, uh, and as it happened, a, a big serac fell into the icefall and tragically killed 16 climbing sherpas which was the biggest disaster in Everest history at the time so obviously the situation quite quickly took a turn for the worst um the the whole season was pretty effectively cancelled so we had to pack up and go home without stepping a single foot on on the mountain now obviously dreams can be replaced lives can't we were very very lucky to be going home um it was inevitably a major kick in the teeth you know the mountain doesn't give a damn how much you spent how hard you've worked and um, you just have to view it as a chance to come back stronger you know you can be a victim or you can think right what can I do about this so it took another year to, to focus on the training on the mindset side of it realizing that 
altitude is probably 90% mental, 10% physical. Mm-hmm. And basically that's what we did. And 2015, uh, 19 went back with Tim on the second attempt. And yeah, what could possibly go wrong this time? Well, uh, we were going through the Cumbu Icefall ourselves to Camp 1, which is the first of four camps below the summit. And um, that day we'd, we left base camp about five o'clock that morning. And this happened to be when the Nepal earthquake hit. So we were on the mountain probably about half an hour away from Camp 1, just at the top of the icefall. And I just remember this huge crack above my head, which is the sound of ice breaking off the mountain. And then behind that, you've got this distant primal roar of an avalanche coming straight for us. And at this point, I was, I was on my own. You know, Tim and, and Ellis were about 10 minutes behind. Most, mo- most of the team were already at, at Camp 1. They were a lot stronger, a lot faster than me. And, uh, and yeah, I basically was, was thrown off my feet, suffocating this freezing cold air, this deathly white everywhere I looked, and this sense of, oh, this is it, you know, game over. And at 19, really thinking that, you know, that was, that was it, this is how I die, this is how I die. Uh, which is quite a sickening feeling mm. of fear. Um, but luckily we just got hit by a powder powder avalanche so it was um you know we we had a pretty miraculous escape but we were then trapped to camp one for two days when um you know when the route down to base camp had gone and base camp had been completely hit well we had no idea at the time that actually we were in the safest place of all base camp had been hit by a much bigger avalanche triggered by the earthquake and our home on the mountain had, had gone um, literally, we, you know, we'd been been up there, cut off from the world for t- for two days, not knowing, and uh, sadly, three of our team had gone with it. So we got down two days later by helicopter, you know, just to find what I can only describe as a a plane crash, really. I mean, that's just the most awful situation, and oh, those poor, poor people. And so, you'd pursued at Everest and had these tragedies on there, and really your life has sort of changed since Everest um, it, it became it, it had been such a, a you know a target for so long um, when you came back how did you feel good question I mean you know we certainly can't forget that I was extremely lucky and grateful to be home I mean we were walking out of this this war zone you know devastation this beautiful country with people that have so little you know that give so much and you kind of come come back asking you know why them well why not me you know had we not left base camp that morning you know base camp is supposed to be the safest place to be when actually staying there would have probably killed us it it sets all sorts of things off and and you're questioning all sorts and i think there's that sense of guilt you know this real sense of of why you know um this this isn't supposed to happen is this isn't you know why them why not me but then you kind of learn to process that after the initial kind of shock settles down. And that really hit me on the airport on the way on the flight home. You know, I'd almost been in numb for a week, you know, just trying to, to sort of salvage anything we could. Um, but back home, it was, just, it was just strange. I mean, nobody could understand. The only people that could really get through to me were a couple of friends who'd been in the army. That was right. the closest thing that I had. Yeah. Um, and so... I didn't really, really want to be anywhere, you know. I just, I just, I just felt, felt completely lost, um, and couldn't stop really thinking about, you know, the three guys in our team. You know, just they were just doing their jobs for their families. I think in time, I, well, at the at that at that period, I had to just focus on on anything I could, anything positive, and just threw myself into uh, into fundraising, trying to raise money for the. You know, for the earthquake victims, when yeah. you've got you know nine thousand people killed, um, hundreds of thousands more homeless, you know the biggest disaster in in the poor history really for a long time. And you raised a big amount of money for them, didn't you? I mean, yeah, I did a, f- a few, a few, you know, a few different challenges. Uh, one of them was uh, called Everesting, which is basically where you try and cycle the height of Everest in a day. I thought, sod this, if I can't climb it, I'm going to cycle it instead. Yeah. And actually, did make the top of that. Um, <laughs> But then we did the walk from Nepal the following year on the anniversary, which is for a charity called Face Worldwide, who work in very isolated parts of Nepal. And 
The Walk for Nepal event had 120 people, raised about uh, £21,000. Fantastic. And they've done four events since, and that's kept going and going. Um, I think when you lose that purpose in life, you've got to find a new one, and think giving back and trying to make a difference is, is always a good a good bet you know you, it's hard to feel bad when you're doing something good um i think i felt i owed it to the guys on the team you know i've got to make my life count um but i think i was trying to keep myself busy with speaking and writing working on my first book at the time which is that ice fall which then came out later that year um but ultimately when all that died that died down I mean, when the book had been done and when the speaking had kind of gone quiet and the fundraising had I'd been, you know, the, the events went quiet, that's when this kind of, it all started, to, all, the, all the cracks started to come out and I started sinking and sinking. And I think that summer I'd actually moved in the lakes. I'd worked at a hostel um, in Windermere. And I think being in the lakes helped me a lot in that process of trying to sort of make sense of everything again. Mm. Um, but it was in the winter that, that all of it started to really creep back in and I think losing purpose you know losing that purpose in life was the hardest thing and I think it's the same with you know we hear a lot of footballers and athletes who go into depression when they retire because they lose that sense of big thing in their life and I guess it was the same for me really. And so you were up here in the Lake District and and you were still getting out and, and walking and but does the outdoors help you in any way with your mental health, do you think? Oh, it's the most powerful tool that I've ever used and ever found. I think it's uh, it's a it's the best it's definitely the best you know, the best you know, the, the best medication out there I think. I mean, it's a really interesting subject and I could talk a lot about it and I guess my last my last challenge and my last book really go into the just trying to really go into the detail and the depths as to what actually happens, how it how it helps because I, I guess the kind of irony of that period was that I'd done all these challenges and, and the training for Everest and I'd been out there and then sometimes like even finding the motivation that winter to get out and run 5k you know was took me all day you know and I remember enter, entering a half marathon just to give myself a bit of a goal to work towards and halfway through just bailing just I just quit I just mentally broke down and lost it and the sense of building resilience isn't always a proportional thing. It's not a constant and it's not about being mentally tough. It's about having resources, having support and, and again, just having those kind of ways to cope. And I think for me, the outdoors, specifically, the kind of, it's the fitness element. For me, when I'm out, I want to be on a run. I want to be kind of challenging and pushing myself normally. Um, having that... Um, is by no means a cure. You know, I can be on a run, I can be in a really horrible state of mind. But if I wasn't doing that running, if I was at home, I think it would be so easy just to curl up, just to yeah. abandon and, and to give up. And I think running in particular has given me something to get me out of bed in the morning. It's that sense of accountability when you've got a race coming up or you don't want to you know, to miss a run. It gives you that sense of you know, chance just to focus on something else, even for half an hour, for an hour, that sense of achievement. And I think it helps you see the world in a, a more positive light. And I think it's, um, it's about having a purpose really, you know, and having that ability to make a positive choice to take some control back. And that could be the same for anybody, you know, it could be cycling, it could be go to the gym, it could be hill walking, it could just be walking the dog. Um, but doing all those things to me has always been an outdoors thing. Um, this that extra benefit, I think, doing it in a natural environment where we, you kind of have to focus elsewhere because otherwise you'll fall over. You know, as I often do, you'll you know you'll obviously fall over. You know, a stone or something you're on the track. You know, it's that sense of um, changing the environment to think to change your perspective on a problem. And don't get me wrong, it was no magical cure. It just, I think, it just helped me to manage it um, at the time. During that really difficult period after Everest and really figuring out after the book and, and after some of the speaking tours, figuring out, out what you wanted to do next, mm. you did embark on then a big, big outdoors challenge in 2017. Was that really with the purpose of trying to help you through that difficult period? Well, there was actually something 
before that because um, after Everest I, I realised I needed another challenge you know for me it's having these challenges has been a real big part of purpose and after Everest there was a sense of I, I need to make my life count I need to achieve as much as I can because at 19 I had this perspective of how fragile life really is and I then went out to um, Tibet to try and climb Choyi, which is the sixth highest peak in the world. I think trying to put Everest to bed a little bit, I think to give myself the best chance of actually finally reaching the top of the mountain. Um, and Choyi didn't quite go to plan either. Um, I got a lot higher, got to 7,000 meters, but then was um, quite serious ill through the altitude. I've always struggled on the altitude. It could be an age thing. Um, I was 21 on Choyi, I think. Um, and that sense of, you know, on the trip, not reaching the top again, it kind of started to make me think differently, thinking, am I ever going to really find peace in myself, constantly trying to set these big goals? Because mm-hmm. in life, I think many of us are always chasing that next big thing. And there's only one way back down again. And it sounds obvious, but that sense of, even if I got to the top, I'm always going to want something else. Because once you've experienced these things, it's the peaks and troughs of life. You know, you need to have that sense of challenge, that new goal. And I kind of started to question, was I really making the biggest difference doing this? Doing you know? the mountains, the big mountains, yeah. yeah. And I guess that's what inspired me then to think close to home. Um, I heard about a girl called Elise Downing who ran around the coast of the UK and I thought, actually, that's a really cool way to engage people, to see some of our, our own country, you know, like Sir Matai Woods here in Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that inspired the Climb the UK challenge, which was basically climbing to the highest point of all 100 UK counties, cycling, walking, running, kayaking, 5,000 miles in 72 days. An and absolutely epic challenge. I mean, that is, <laughs> when you came up with that, did you think how hard it would be? I mean, that, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's really interesting because with challenges, you're always like, you go through this kind of entrepreneurial process where you're trying to find an idea that just, where you get that kind of light bulb moment it ticks the boxes, it, it just excites you because you've got to have that vision at the end of it. That vision of Everest, that goosebump feeling of standing on top of the world is what drove me there. And it took me months and months sort of toying with different ideas of what I could do to find something. But there's always that biggest question of, is it going to be hard enough? There is also, then there's also having friends to actually just, pat, you know, put the idea past them and get that common sense of, you know, you're absolutely mental, that's not going to be, you know. So some of them were a little bit out there. Um, but yeah, at the time, I think it's, you just get a feel for what's kind of on the borderline of achievable and really challenging because you want to have some element of uncertainty and that sense of, can I really do this? And you um, decided to do Climb the UK on behalf of Young Minds, the charity. Yes, yes. So that's the leading, um, the leading charity for mental health in, in young people. I guess the reason for that, it seemed a very obvious fit um, after the fundraising for Nepal that uh, I'd been through that experience of, you know, suffering with, well, by that point, three bouts of depression and anxiety. Uh, and that kind of lack of understanding and support that was available. I think that uh, it took several months just to go from that initial appointment, breaking down in tears, to my GP, to actually getting a regular, you know, amount of support. And that's just too long. I mean, in that time, I decided on Choyu. I'd almost helped myself by having this purpose, this sense of what I, I, what I later realised was a distraction with more challenges. And I kind of felt, what about the people that haven't got that? Mm-hmm. How would they cope? Because it was hard enough for me. And it's like, how can I help fill a gap as best I can? Um, so fundraising for that seemed an obvious fit. But also, especially from a male p- p- point of view is that showing that it's no barrier to achievement, that you can have these struggles and, you know, people people think and assume that we're, you know, perfectly happy and healthy when all these things are completely invisible. And just to get, just get people speaking about it in literally every corner of the UK. So with Climb the UK, you tackled the 100 highest points of the counties in the UK and um, you really encouraged a lot of people to try and come out there with you and that was what I thought was really inspiring about that challenge is that you had so many people join you on legs of that. Mm. Um, just talk me through some of the high points and the low points of that challenge because yeah, it was, it was over 70 days and that is a, you know, what is it, nearly three months? 
Um, yeah, two, 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 two and a half, I think. Yeah, two uh, a long time. Um, the, high, the high points, I mean, for me, were was that engagement, that the participation was a real surprise to me. Just the amount of generosity and support I had along the way was was really what made it so worthwhile. And when we hear about all the bad stuff in the UK, um, I won't mention one word. Um, you know, it's it's really refreshing that you find so much generosity and 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 just natural beauty on our own home soil um, that I'd never seen before and many people don't see enough of. So that was that was the high point. I mean, beyond that kind of finished moment, actually reaching the final peak, which is Mulvama, uh, North Wales, and it being exactly how I'd how I dreamed it would be. That kind of that vision of a crowd of supporters and friends and family who normally would just sit and watch while I'm halfway across the world. Having a Union Jack flag on the final peak, the sun was shining, having a massive banner with you know the you know you know with the charity slogan on and just that reaching the final peak, having finally achieved what I set out to do. Uh, on target you know 72 days the fundraising target was doubled because because the, the support and the generosity was amazing wow. and, and what was that figure uh, 25,000 in the end wow. um, and that was just thanks to all the support I had but it was just that realization was, was magic there were so many other little surprises I couldn't possibly mention them all but the low points on the other hand um, yeah how long have you got mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think the, it was the weather was what was a bit the big thing I wasn't as equipped as, as, as I could have been but I almost got stuck in this trance that I just didn't sort of stop to address it as I should have done I just kept pushing through each day but I think day five I'd torn a muscle in my, uh, in my quad so I was in quite a lot of pain for about the first month um, it was kind of regular pain in my knee all the way around on the bike and I was braced up I was neck and ibuprofen but it just kind of just disappeared I just kind of learned to ignore it for a while um, but early on that was jeopardising the whole challenge then I came down with a chest infection in Scotland oh, gosh. Um, and you know those days when you're kind of shivering and aching all over mm. it was like that but in the Cairngorms which are pretty pretty violent as well when mm. they want to be and um, and then I kind of I was coming out of Scotland and I think that whole whole kind of Scotland section was very lonely because I didn't have as much support up there because it being so vast and the weather and the obviously the, the biggest hills of the lot were really pushed me and I kind of had always I'd, I'd always told myself that if I could get just get through Scotland I could make it mm. um, Scotland was nearly the first half of the challenge but there were so many days on there when I had oh, I it you know I had effectively breakdowns of a different kind there was one day in particular on Glen Affric when I remember just you know when you kind of when the cloud comes down and you see that's the true summit you have this kind of false hope and it's that like a heartbreaking feeling and I was cold I was wet I was scared I was alone I was just I had nothing left to give and that sense of I just it, it all got too much and I just I sat on the mountain and I just sobbed my heart out just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and then kind of realised I was on my own. I had no choice but to get back on my feet and get down the mountain. I couldn't call my mum. There was no signal anyway. Um, and then it was that learning thing to, to break things down into small steps. Mm-hmm. And that was how I got through it. it was just the, you know, the ability just to focus one day at a time. But those days, I think, is why I think why the outdoors has such an important role in, uh, in mental health because it builds that mental resilience. We are better not immune but better able to cope with the tough days but that was when really it was about asking for help and luckily in Scotland that's when friends came and joined me and uh, at the right time and the simplest things when you're suffering with a chest infection you know being able to sleep in a friend's car rather than in a tent and a sleeping bag wow. and yeah. hot food hot drinks Gosh. Uh, so much so much I could say um, you know wow. Norfolk being the low points you know it may not be known for its hills, but to do that with a, a, a class of 30 high school students who raised eight, 850 pounds in the process. Brilliant. That's an ironic high point in some ways. Yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic. I mean, what impact do you think, when you finish that challenge, and, and you run lots of um, news TV shows, there's lots of clips of you on YouTube, 
incredible amount of money you raised for that as Thank well. You. What do you think was the personal impact of that challenge on you? I think at the time it was oh, it was an incredible feeling. The buzz was just phenomenal because it was the first time I'd really achieved what I planned to do. And in some ways it was like the Everest summit day I never had. It felt almost like I didn't need Everest because this was just as good a feeling. Um, even more so because it was almost like a very unique idea. Um, whereas, you know, it had been done once before by a guy called John, Johnny Muir, but it was a very unique sense of, sense of kind of a very unique content feeling. But that high kind of kept going for a few weeks. I very much enjoyed the ability to do nothing. I mean, at home, if somebody asked me to do something to go somewhere, I spent two months racing the clock every day. I think the time pressure, you just become like this in a trance and the sense of exhaustion the last couple of days to the point of, you know, literally, you know, walking on the spot up Snowden because I was that exhausted, literally falling off, falling off the bike, bike in a heap when I arrived at the final car park because cause I'd, lost, I'd lost over a stone and a half in weight. Um, the ability just to, to stop and be in the moment is to do what I feel like doing. I never got that before, so that was quite an enjoyable process and obviously trying to kind of gain the weight I'd lost and that became a different story altogether. Um, but I think when that does start to fade off, there there is inevitably you start to think, what's next? People start asking you what's next. I'm like, give me a rest already, you know. Yeah, yeah. But that starts to come 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 back in again. And uh, oh, hello. we've been uh, a bomb by a well, he's little, got he's got the right hand. idea. He's got a coat on. Yeah, exactly. He's all wrapped up warm. <laughs> <laughs> I think the sense of achievement kind of kept going because there was a lot of fundraising. There was lots of interviews. There was started to work on the book. Um, this and is the, another peak. Yeah, and the fundraising kind of kept going, and going, and all the admin to do after the challenge and going on holiday, spending time with family. It was just a fantastic buzz to enjoy the summer. Um, but then, yeah, you do start having to think about what's next. And I think, I think though, looking at it now, two years later, the personal impact it's had is, it's led to a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's it's really helped me to realise what my kind of what I'm here to do, what's important in life. And I think that I've realised I don't need Everest. I can make a bigger difference, get people involved, get inspired, and the amount of friends I've made through that, and the people that have been inspired and made positive changes as a result. That's been the biggest impact, but I think personally is that sense of knowing that, you know, whatever happens in life, actually, I don't want to say everything happens for a reason, but we can we can turn any negative into positive. And don't get me wrong, I still have, have had and do have my very difficult periods when I, I lose all confidence in myself. I sink very back to where I was again, so it's not that... I'm never, I don't think, no matter what challenges I do, I don't think I'm ever going to find that peace. But the, I think Climbing UK created a bit of a kind of a legacy in that sense and a sense of achievement, a sense of confidence. And it's really helped me to, to steer my path towards where I want to be. And it's led to the book, it's led to more fundraising, it's led to more speaking, it's led to Mind of the Mountains. In some ways, it's just set me on a whole new journey which has been fantastic and um, most of it I never expected so I think that's been the biggest impact. And just you mentioned Mind Over Mountains there that is very much marrying the outdoors with mm. mental health can you explain a little bit about that? Yes yeah, so again I think Climb UK made me realise just the importance of, of the outdoors for getting people speaking about mental health and also benefiting ourselves as I think it's the most sort of natural therapy we have you know we are you know, looking for these quick fixes. I think sometimes we're overlooking the, the very basics of what we have around us. Um, and so last year we did an event uh, in the Lake District in uh, partnership with a, a company called Adventure Uncovered. And it's basically just the idea of doing an event where we're taking people around the UK to, to the hills, combination of the outdoors with kind of the holistic self-help approaches. So uh, NLP coaching, mindfulness meditation, inspirational speakers, people that can share their stories to show that actually we can achieve great things regardless of the challenges we face. And just a chance to, to get away from it all. I mean, I, I read recently that we spend on average 24 hours a week on our mobile phones. Um, so we go to Skid our house, which there's no phone signal. You know, there's just a chance to properly disconnect. So 
haven't done that, that event was a great success really inspired by what or what it achieved the difference it made kind of felt that we want to take this to as many people as possible you know people that really need that intervention um, and so we did the second event this year uh, again at Skiddle House in August again really inspired by the feedback and just the the variety of people with their own challenges come away and just that one experience can really send them on a new path help them to learn things about themselves and, and support each other just creating a very supportive environment um, so we registered as a community interest company soon to be a charity so that we can you know benefit more people and I guess the vision for it is that we're going to be running regular Mind Over Mountains weekends all around the UK uh, in every UK national park started here in the lakes because obviously I'm biased <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's just like fundraising for challenge you know for charities is, is important we should it adds a lot of meaning to every challenge but being able to be part of that process and actually spend the money and and and, and make the impact where we can see it ourselves and have a have an input in that i think is really important and that's kind of my new project with my next challenges will be fundraising for that if you could just sum up what the outdoors has meant to your life hope really it's uh, it's given me it's given me a way through the various challenges. I think for me, um, outdoor challenges have have been the best way to find a way through personal challenges in life, and um, they add so much meaning and value and passion to life that I couldn't imagine a life without the outdoors in some way. I think it's finding which bit works for us you know whether whether you know it's running up hills or whether it's taking a stroll in the park or being being in the group i think there's something for everybody everybody has their own everest and i think uh, it's the outdoors has taught me more about life than anything else who are three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures okay uh Who's inspired me? I think first and foremost, it was the other Everest climbers that had had been there before me because they were the only real kind of proof that I could follow suit. You know, I would have given up long before them. Um, well, if it wasn't for knowing that they had come from a pretty normal background like me, and you know, through hard work and and the right approach, have been able to make the goal happen. Um, in particular, that was Becky Bellworthy, Matt Dangard, Thornton, and Molly Hughes, who they'd summited Everest uh, a couple of years before I, um, I attempted. I think they were my initial inspiration. And after then, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but Bear Grylls and his book. Okay, um, yeah. Just, uh, although obviously I was never, you know, in the SES, I was never going to be from that military background. Just that sense of, um, you know, finding a light towards our goals or when we think you know when life tries to get in the way just showing that actually we probably give up when we're so close to you know close to actually making the goal happen um, and reading about his pro his journey through obviously rehabbing to walk again and then climbing Everest um, to actually have him endorse my first book was just like the biggest honor and uh, and yet yeah, Bear Grylls you know you know I was love him or hate him um, in that time had a real personal personal significance for me there's many many more people I mean away away from Everest though I would say that um, Mark Beaumont the Scottish cyclist um, is a big hero of mine and also you know a big supporter very 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 proud again that he has uh, endorsed my second book um, obviously that had a lot of personal meaning I think uh, I like his approach because he's it kind of it's it, you know he's a bit quieter on the scene he, he just kind of does his own thing he he doesn't seem to follow the crowd too much but also his his cycling around the world it, well his world record um that was happening i think while i was away on climbing the uk on climbing the uk or just afterwards and i then decided to try and cycle to edinburgh from home in 24 hours um to try and raise a bit more bit more money for that fundraising target mm-hmm. and there's a sense of well, I think after climbing the UK, I wanted one final push for the year. But seeing the mileage he was doing every single day, I'd always been a bit apprehensive of thinking I couldn't do two hundred, you know, two hundred plus miles in a day. But then you think of Mark, and it just completely challenges your your excuses, your doubts, your self beliefs. 
I think it has done for a lot of people. So that was, Mark was the complete inspiration behind that challenge. And I think um, just 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 in general, his approach to two things now, whenever we kind of think, oh, that's not going to be possible, it's going to be too hard, having him as a reference point to second guess. And of course, I should, I know I mentioned her uh, already, but, uh, you know, uh, Elise Downing was really was the spark behind the whole Climb the UK challenge. And I think just that, sense of how she kept on going kept smiling for those nine months around the uk how she carried people like the pie piper uh phenomenal alex what tips would you have for people for getting outdoors more oh uh where to start i mean it's easy for me to say because I mean I've been in the outdoors for a few years now and and it comes very naturally to me. I I, I almost don't need to really actually think much about it. But I know that for some people that it can be quite daunting as it was for me many years ago. I would say personally I've always needed to have goals. You know I think having a goal gets that element of accountability. You know it pushes us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. I think without a goal sometimes, if we're a bit tired or it's not a very nice day, we might think, oh, I can't be that fussed about going on a walk or you know, on a bike ride today. But when you think that there's a goal at stake, uh, I think it gives you that push to get outside and do something. And that sense of achievement is actually, therefore, a lot bigger. Um, there's so many different races and so many events and things you can do nowadays, or even just come up with something of your own. Um, I think having a goal to work towards is, uh, is a really good way to encourage yourself to do more. And at the same time, I think perhaps don't compare yourself too much to others. After challenges, sometimes I just have to go back to running what I feel like doing, not following a training plan, not needing to push myself every single time. Because if a challenge or an activity starts to become like a chore or you don't enjoy it, then that defeats the object for me. I think sometimes you just have to run with no watch or walk without the mileage or just do something different. I think sometimes to re kind of reignite that passion but I think if we look on Instagram we see all these wonderful you know shots of landscapes and amazing places I think what I would say is don't expect too much just go out and be there for the sake of being out to enjoy that moment rather than needing to compare or compete or get recognition on social media and just really um, you know I think just be out just it sounds very cliche, but just be outside, just enjoy it for what it is. And, uh, and you know, I think accept as well that there's always good and bad days. You know, we've all had days in the hills which have been a bit rubbish, been a bit cold, a bit wet. But as well, the hardest part is always that, that first step. But I can guarantee most of the time that we'll, we'll never regret that first step outside. Challenges are often quite hard to come up with. And you know, and obviously, you know what yeah. goals you want to pursue. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any tips for how to come up with a challenge? Well, don't, all I say is don't climb Everest if I'm there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the tips generally, for me, it's always involved asking people, asking for advice. But you need to ask the right people. You know, I have, I'm very lucky to have a small group of friends who you know they've mentored and, and really supported me throughout this and they understand how I work and they understand the outdoors and I think if I've got ideas it takes me quite a long time it is a long process and so I say you've got to be fairly patient because you've got to do something for the, for the right reasons you've got to have a, a strong enough why for doing it and you'll, you'll know when it's right you'll know when you've got something and you almost go through this exciting process where you're researching online, trying to check, check if it's been done before, because trying to come up with new things nowadays is harder than ever. But I think asking friends for that second opinion as to their thoughts on it, because you kind of got to look at that as well, what you know, whether it's realistic. But equally, if I ask my mum, obviously that would be a bad idea. So it's, I think, having a support network, um, bouncing ideas off people, ultimately being patient. And I think when think of things that when the self-doubts kick in I think what I would say is we are capable of so much more than we think um, so get something that excites you have a strong vision have have a bit of support from friends who believe in the idea gives that confidence and then just go for it oh this has been so much fun talking to you Alex thank, thank you, you, you so me. much 
Um, you have very bravely also sat on this uh, very cold stone while we've been in the forest recording this, um, but it's looking like a beautiful sunset now actually over there, do you see? Yes. Gorgeous. Yeah. I um, think I'll be stuck if I think I'd be I'd be stuck here now until the morning I fall out anyway, so I'll enjoy the sunrise <laughs> as well. So <laughs> um, But it's been lovely hearing about your adventures and, and thank you for speaking so openly about it and um, really congratulations on how much money you've raised for charity because that is a huge feat. So thank you again. Thank you for having me on the show. You know, I think it's uh, really important that we're really getting people talking about the outdoors and their stories and just trying to champion the power of being outside more often. You know, so thank you for all your, all your work and having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Alex's story. And if you're affected by any of those issues discussed in the podcast, there are links to support and information on the Outdoors Fix website. Now, time to take a moment and listen to some sounds from nature. It's the sounds from Woodbury Wetlands in North London. Thank you for listening to The Outdoors Fix. The podcast is proudly supported by Ellis Brigham Mountain Sports, stores nationwide and online, offering everything you need to equip you for the best outdoors experience.